words on water. Welcome back to Weft Tech Live. I'm Travis Loop, the host. Very excited for this conversation. I am joined by Lieutenant Colonel Dale Coinga uh, from the U.S. Army Reserve. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having us. Glad to have you here at Weft Tech. Your first Weft Tech, I imagine. It is my first time in New Orleans as well. Oh wow! Okay, great. Yeah. A big new experience for you. We have you on here to talk about this new initiative to get water professionals into the U.S. Army Reserve. What's this all about? If you look at Iraq and Afghanistan, and you look at from a purely military perspective, historically speaking, every lost life is a tragedy, but historically speaking, it was fairly good military success. Um, you have 9-11, the country said, keep us safe, did that. Um, the initial liberation of Iraq and Afghanistan, once again, historically speaking, went well. When you look back on lessons learned, as far as what could have gone better, one of the lessons learned that they came up with 10 years ago was we need to do a better job of what they call transitional governance. We need to have the, the post-military operations, we need to do a better job of transitioning into civilian society. And if you look at World War II, that was one of the great successes of World War II, was you took places like Japan, Western Europe, and it wasn't only the, the defeat of Germany, the defeat of Japan, but it was that decades-long process after that that has led to today Japan being one of our greatest allies in the Pacific, Western Europe being a key ally, including Germany. So the program is to really get people in uniform that are able to bring with them civilian skill sets that can help with water-related issues before, during, and after conflict. Mm. And so the, these in Iraq, Afghanistan, being able to deal with water infrastructure, being able to help rebuild it, whatever that might be, that was a, a, a key element of helping out in those, in those nations after the initial conflict? Yeah, I mean, it always is. I mean, I, I'm, I'm on the water people, right? And so, <laughs> you know, if you talk about, and the thing that you always hear in the water industry is water is life, right? Mm. Well, if water is life, then water is also power. And so if we're looking to empower a local government that is in control because we want to see them thrive, like we wanted to see in Iraq and Afghanistan uh, post-liberation, uh, post is we want to not necessarily solve their water issues for them, but we want to create the local capacity and capability with civilian partners in order to transition them so that they have those services to build confidence in their, in their government. Mm -hmm. So that could be drinking water, it could be sanitation, the U.S. military has also dealt with what they call internal displaced persons camps, which is in a within a country, or refugee camps. So they're, they're, just like when you walk around here and you see water could be fire hydrants, it could be agriculture, it could be, I mean, the, the world of water is very, very wide. Yes. As wide as you see all the water issues at a convention like this is how many water issues you can see when you're a military commander in uniform. But the military commander has all sorts of things to worry about, right? <laughs> in the military sphere, not to mention the civilian sphere. So this is why, you know, looking at, looking backwards, it was a, the global war on terror, right? And now the, the focus is really what they call great power competition. Mm. And so whether it be the global war on terror and the type of missions that we did alongside that, you know, what they refer to a lot as the winning the hearts and minds of the community, 
Um, now it's, a, it's transitioned to a different focus when you look at other threats out there. But when you still look at those threats, I mean, water issues are a big part of what we're dealing with. And so that's why we signed a Memorandum of Understanding, an MOU, mm. uh, the United States Civil Affairs Psychological Operations Command, which is part of the United States Army Reserve. And we signed an agreement with the Water Council out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And they're going to help us with training, identifying officers uh, for the program, and just telling people what we're doing and why we're doing it and coming alongside us. Because the Army can't replicate the expertise in this room, mm. right? We can't. And we shouldn't. We shouldn't. You can't. It's, it's not a good use of resources. Uh, you can't replicate the success in the private sector. So that's what that MOU is about. And to have relationships like this to get out there and say, your country, if you're willing to serve your country, let's talk. There's opportunities. Yeah. Uh, could you give some examples, perhaps, of the type of work, the types of water professions or expertise that's really sought after? You know, what if, if people are out there watching this, uh, water yep. professionals, and they wonder if their skill set might be right, what kind of folks are you looking for? Yeah, so the minimum criteria for the program is you have to have a master's degree and 48 months experience at a high level okay. uh, following your master's degree. And there's a bunch of reasons for that, but we're really looking for people that can do strategic level leadership. Mm. So we're looking at, I mean, really across all sorts of water issues. I mean, we could have attorneys that know water rights, international law. It could be engineers. It could be uh, business people that know the industry. Uh, technical expertise is probably the number one thing that we're looking sure. for. But, you know, we're looking for a broad, in fact, when we're looking at recruiting classes, is we're looking at, we want to have a diverse group of water individuals. We don't want to have you know, 80 people that are water purification people that speak Farsi. Mm. That's really, really cool. <laughs> right. But we want to have water purification people and we want to have um, water treatment people and international law water people and a very diverse group of individuals. And we also want to have diversity and we love additional languages. So, mm. you know, any language in the world would be very, very helpful to us. Um, we love prior service, but that's not required. So we get a lot of individuals that miss the uniform, mm. and they think of their uniform services like, I carried a rifle. Well, you know, you'll still be armed, mm. but this is a different type of service that we really, really, really want your brain, not your brawn. Mm. You still got to meet minimum physical fitness requirements for the U.S. Army. Uh, you have to, you know, be able to get a security clearance. Um, so there's definitely still, most people are not qualified for the program. But there's still in a room like this, there's well, how many thousands of people here, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, pushing, pushing 20,000. In so. a room of 20,000, there's definitely a couple hundred people here that are qualified. Yeah. And there's definitely dozens of people here who always thought, I've always wanted to serve. I didn't have my chance. I'd like to do that. And we could go up to 48 years old. Hmm. So if you're 48 years old and have a master's degree in 48 months experience, we would still love to talk to you. Yeah. So uh, what's it, what are the benefits of being in the Army Reserve? Obviously, serving the country is, is number one benefit. But what's, what's involved in it? What, what do people get out of that? Yeah, well, um, one of my favorite authors is a gentleman named Arthur Brooks, and he articulates this very well, and that is what makes people happy. And government studies show that what makes people happy is meaningful work and meaningful relationships. And I will tell you that nearly everyone I know in this uniform finds meaningful work and meaningful relationships when they put this uniform on and serve their country. Hmm. So I think that for most people here, uh, obviously there's tuition reimbursement type programs, there's the compensation, there's retirement. But I think for most people that are signing up, in fact, in this program, I'd say nearly everybody 
is not doing it because you can pick up an extra couple thousand bucks a year or the, the benefits, which are very, very good benefits. Uh, health insurance is great. Uh, the people that were recruiting this program, I think, are doing it because they look at and say, I would find meaning in that work, and they know they're going to have meaningful relationships. Mm. So that's, that's why I think we're attracting people. Mm. And quite frankly, is um, this is a beautiful nation, a beautiful nation worth fighting for. And when you get out there and tell people that they have the opportunity to serve their country, mm. a lot of individuals say, I've always thought about that, I've always wanted to do that, and right now is the time for me. Mm. And so we talk to them. Yeah. So, I mean, it's funny because we go at the 48 years old, people, a lot of folks, uh, depending on you know, when they decide to start a family, like, my kids are leaving the house. <laughs> you know, like, my dynamic has drastically changed. And so if you're still in physical good shape and you get a security clearance and you have that master's in 48 months experience, like, let's talk. Let's go, let's go uh, see if you want to join up. Sure. And could you talk a little bit about the time that's involved? Uh, you know, I, I mentioned before our interview that my father was a U.S. Marine Corps Reserve. He might be watching right now. Hi, and I know, <laughs> Hi. Thanks and, for your service. And, and I know yeah. that he would, you know, he would go one weekend a month and, yeah. and then go for that summer training also. So what's, what's that commitment like? What are those experiences like? Yeah, so a lot of people think of the Goddard Reserve with that, you know, one weekend a month, two weeks a year. And that is still like the minimum quoted requirement for reserve reservist. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot have changed since probably when did your dad leave the service? Uh, oh, early 2000s maybe? Okay, yeah. all right. So that was kind of like when this was picking up more, but throughout the 70s and 80s, the Army Reserve was primarily looked upon as like the constable reserve, like, oh, we have our reserve elements behind the hill, and mm. if we really need them, we'll call them, right? And the Army Reserve today is very different than that. The Army Reserve today is, an, is a very integrated operational part of the active duty Army. The active duty Army needs the Army Reservists to help plug and play into their daily operations. So, yes, the minimum is two weeks a year, um, one week in a month, but a lot of reservists, and mostly voluntarily, uh, want to do more than that. They want to do additional missions, additional training. Uh, for this program, initially, you're going to go to six weeks of a direct commissioning course. It's not, it's not basic training. <laughs> it's also not, you know, a conference in New Orleans. <laughs> it's, it's somewhere in so, between. It's somewhere in between, probably a little closer to basic training. Um, you know, you're not going to have warm coffee handed to you by you know, attractive people in the morning. <laughs> but so you have that six weeks at Fort Benning. Um, following that, you go to another six-week course, which is still being worked out the details. It could be a little bit longer, it could be eight weeks, but essentially that's going to, the first course is like, how am I, how do you become an army officer? How do you salute? What are your ranks? What's the history? That kind of stuff. Work out in the morning. Uh, the second class would be more focused on civil affairs. Like what is the civil affairs part of the army? How do you become a civil affairs professional? Yeah. So uh, you could break that up, but you know, it's not a, a gig job. This isn't like, uh, you know, being an Uber driver or like, oh yeah, I'm gonna pick that up on the side. It's definitely a lifestyle change. It's definitely sure. a commitment. Um, all those are the minimum requirement when you join the army. I mean, you are raising your hand to mm. serve at the commander's discretion. So, although we're fairly confident and we're like, you're gonna do water stuff and this is what you're gonna do, um, you join the army. So sure. you just gotta know that and realize that and, and and understand that's how the army works. So sometimes you 
just follow orders. Yeah. Well, I, th I think that, that the people that are in the reserves and then they put on that uniform to go for that weekend or they go for that, that extra training, you know, the other benefit is, is other people see them in that uniform, I, I think, that it, it inspires others, you know, uh, people in their community, people they work with. Uh, I know that, you know, as a child, I was inspired seeing my father put on that uniform Absolutely. and go away. So that's, that's powerful. Speaking of putting on the uniform, could you talk about maybe one of the first people that, that in, has enlisted, if you will, through this new initiative? Yeah, I would love to. I, I don't know if he's here. I think he's here. We'll, he's here at the conference somewhere. Okay, well, we will yeah. hunt him down. <laughs> we'll find um, him. But one of our first recruits, and this, again, was the water council in Milwaukee. Uh, Dean there said, hey, we have this guy who I think would be absolutely perfect. And Dean was absolutely correct about that. Mm. His name is Alcho. Alcho is, I believe, is the chief strategy officer mm. for Xylem. Yeah. And, uh, I, I mean, his resume is just jaw-dropping, which is pretty typical for the type of recruit we're getting. Uh, but he did, was a Rhodes Scholar at Oxford. He um, undergrad at Harvard, I believe. Mm. Uh, he has had uh, experience at the State Department. Very articulate, very... Um, just he's, good heart. He's one of the brightest minds in water. He, he is, really is. Yeah, he is just, and he, he's just, he's exactly what we're looking for as far as he has the intellectual capability. Um, he, he's in good shape. Uh, <laughs> he, he's in great shape. Um, but more, what's really important about this program is not necessarily just what you bring with your being a subject matter expert and knowing the industry. What's even more important for this program are the networks that you bring with you, mm. right? Because Alcho or nobody else in this room knows everything about water, but what they do have is they have the networks to say, you know what, I don't know that specific issue, but I have the networks to bring to bear to help solve this problem, right? And so that's when we're looking at this program, we say, well, I look at the description and I'm not like, this is what I do, I don't do that. Hey, you're indie. You know, the military has a language, right? You knew that with your dad. <laughs> right. It's like, he just said, I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> the military has a language. Water has a language. Mm. And so someone that's not in the water industry, like myself, I'm not a water expert, is someone in the water industry is going to have their own language. And someone outside the water industry may listen to that conversation and be like, they lost me. You dropped me <laughs> off. I, I don't know what you're talking about, right? And so someone like Al Cho is, it's not only his knowledge, but it's someone like him who speaks water and now he's going to speak military, and that's exactly what we're, we're looking for to help bridge that divide between the military world and what we're asked to do in the civilian world. Mm. I, I love that you mentioned that because we feel that that's one of the strengths of our, of our industry is the networking and the, the, that we're all on this same team. And if we have a problem, if we need an answer, uh, we have this incredible community to, to go to, and everybody is willing to help. Uh, you know, we're, we're in this public service mindset already uh, in providing water and sanitation, for sure. Yeah, so if you look at why the program is created, um, civil affairs is a branch in the Army. It's like there's military intelligence, there's um, all sorts of branches. One of those branches is civil affairs. Mm. And so what was happening was like, well, you're my civil affairs guy. Will you set up a school system? And you're like, well, I'm more of a water <laughs> guy. Or would you go out there and set up a banking system? I'm like, well, you're my civilian, civilian guy. So... Even when you get to water professionals, you're still going to have that problem of serendipity of saying, is this the right person to water? Mm. It's all right. If it, as long as it's a water officer, they'll network their way to get to the solution. Find way. Uh, real quickly, and, and most importantly, if people are interested, where should they go to get information? Yeah, reach out to the Water Council. The okay. Water Council will help organize that and send it our way, but reach out to the Water Council. That's probably the most efficient way because I will not be doing this for, <laughs> for a long time, but people will change, but the Water Council and that MOU 
they'll uh, introduce you to our team and we'll take it from there. Perfect. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Coinga, thank you very much thank for you. this conversation. Very excited that this is happening. Uh, thank you all for watching WefTech Live. Please stay tuned for lots more exclusive interviews, in-booth visits, and lots more from around WefTech 2022. Thank you.